This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. Don't forget, four games this evening around the NHL, two of them on our network. The Panthers and the Rangers get underway at 7. Interesting game there. Panthers, uh, well, we all know that situation. Uh, we're going to get into the Islanders here in a couple of moments with Elliot. Elliot uh, Islanders face off against Toronto Maple Leafs. Watch that one on Sportsnet at 7 o'clock Eastern. Uh, that is uh, part of Rogers' Monday Night Hockey. The Sabres and Stars at 8.30 Eastern. And then it is the return of Johnny Gaudreau to Calgary. The Columbus Blue Jackets facing off against the Calgary Flames. Watch this one on Sportsnet 1 and Sportsnet West. Uh, in the meantime, being joined now, uh, an hour later than normally scheduled, uh, but we do have to accommodate when there are things like morning skates. He is Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada and the 32 Thoughts podcast. Hello, Fridge. How are you today? Are you bringing up my constant lateness again? Is that, is that where this is all going? No, this was... What I like about this one, this was a scheduled lateness. At least this one we had fair warning about it. It was like, oh, Fridge needs right. 1 o'clock. Okay. But listen, listen, I had a great conversation with Ian McIntyre off the top. Like it was... We got, and listen, you know, uh, he's been all over the, the Vancouver story from day one, even yeah. going back to last spring. Um, so it was real good. And, you know, you and I talked a lot about Vancouver on the podcast. I'm going to you know, throw out a couple of things um, at you today about Vancouver, but then there's a lot more to, to get into. But, um, yeah. you know, here we are 24 hours later after the news is official and the Vancouver Canucks will play the Chicago Blackhawks tomorrow. I don't think we're expecting any, you know, Rick, there it is chance or anything like that. But, you know, I, I am curious here about the, the nature of rebuilding trust and rebuilding a, a, a relationship with the fan base to say nothing about rebuilding relationships with players. Like through all of this saga, Elliot, where do you think the most damage was done? Like, th- there were a couple of car crashes here al- along the way. Um, what area do you think needs the biggest the biggest repair, really? What what needs the most TLC here? Well, well first of all, I, look, I, I think the biggest misstep, I, I don't think anybody doubts, w- would argue this, the biggest misstep was that the hockey world knew there was a coaching change and they just kind of let it play out. And... Um, yeah. You know, you know, like like the thing is, like I, I, we didn't actually talk about this on the pod, but I was I was talking about it with someone this morning. This is the difference, I think, in some of the depending on where you are in the league, where things like this make a difference. You know, one thing we did discuss on the pod was that one of uh, Jim Rutherford's closest friends in hockey is Paul Maurice, and Jim Rutherford has fired yep. Paul Maurice twice. And but that was in a, a smaller market, Carolina, where there's not as much spotlight and attention. And you know, you know, as you said, these things don't just happen in a vacuum. You don't just say, "Okay, we're fi- we fired our coach. Now we begin our coaching search." Teams do their coaching searches before coaches are fired like that happened last time in Vancouver with Bruce Boudreaux and and Travis Green so but the thing is there are times you can do it in a vacuum and and that's what happened in places like Carolina they were able to do it when where, where there were not as many prying eyes like this one they did it they decided they were going to make their change it's Vancouver's there's a lot more attention there's a lot more people talking about it and then it got out, and they didn't adapt their plan. 
And I think what one guy was talking to me about this morning was that's a good lesson of, A, how you have to be able to adapt on the fly, and, B, knowing where you're managing, like knowing what the level of attention is, knowing what, um, if things get out, you know, like this guy said to me, that's why I hate talking to you. Like he said, like things get destabilized and it is, it is a, uh, and, and I think it's just a, so I think the biggest thing here that the Canucks have to look at is look, the only way you rebuild trust is by rebuilding your organization, right? You, you know, you, you, you learn from your mistakes, you treat people better, you, and, and you improve your product. And I think ultimately that's the way that Vancouver fixes this. But I, I think, you know, I, like, like I said, I think it's a good reminder that it's like my, I, I say this a billion times, Jeff, my grandmother's line, you plan, God laughs, you got to be able to adapt. You know, it's funny, too. I uh, I just mentioned that line to my neighbor this morning when I was shoveling my driveway. I can't remember the nature of the conversation, but I referenced your grandmother. I do that often because I love that line so much. You plan, God laughs. It's uh, that's a great line. Um, so now the, the, the conversation turns to uh, what what's the expect, expectation next for the Vancouver Canucks? And one of the things we wonder about are the impending deals, whether it's Bo Horvat... Yeah whether it's Luke Shin, maybe it's, you know, other players that we're unaware of, but those seem to be, you know, prime candidate one and two here. Now, we know that Jim Rutherford has passed the baton publicly to Patrick mm-hmm. Alvin. It's going to be a whole lot less Jim and a whole lot more Patrick. So get used to, to those press conferences, uh, unlike the, the, the Jim Rutherford press conferences, which are just, you know, media protein shakes. It's like, oh, wow, this is, this is going to give us three days' worth of material. Um, but do we assume then or not that with that symbolic passing of the baton that we saw yesterday at the press conference, that Jim Rutherford will be less involved in the trades or is this just a symbolic, you're the face of this thing now, I'm still making the deals? Um, I think that's a great question. And I don't think I have a full, (coughs) I don't think I have a full answer to that yet, Jeff. I I, I really believe that, um, Rutherford will likely still be uh, the decision maker, but I just wonder if potentially more people like Alvin are brought to the table or more opinions are brought to the table. Like, like the Canucks have a really big front office. Like, you know, one of the most, you know, one of the most mm. am- amazing things about this whole year is that a year ago, the Canucks were the praise of the league for putting together an incredibly progressive front office. Like everybody was taking a look at, you know, yep. how, like first of all, how many assistant GMs they have? They're like four. Um, they have a big front office, but also like some of the people they brought in, three women. You know, people were looking at it and saying, you know, this is this is where we should be. This is where we should go, and look where we are a, a year later. So, I mean, it, it's kind of amazing how quickly things can turn. Uh, can, I, I just wonder can I, can if what I, it let means. Me, let me, is, can I, yeah, sure. Can I, can I throw one, one thing in here about that? I can remember when that happened, having a conversation with someone who said, that is a very smart strategic move by Rutherford. You know, the, the bringing in of, of all the, the assistant, uh, assistant general managers and, and having, you know, Patrick Golvine underneath him, obviously, and, you know, him still making the decisions. 
he said that's a very smart strategic move like that is a very that is a very savvy business move that a lot of other companies use and i said what are you talking about and he said this and i've never forgotten this i don't think i've talked to you about this i've never forgotten this he said look in business everybody underneath you wants your job there is always going to be a fight vertically but if you put enough assistance underneath you competing for a spot to take your job Instead of the competition going vertically, vertically, it goes horizontally. You put enough people underneath you that they fight amongst each other so they're not fighting upwards for your job. You said that's a really, really astute business move by Jim Rutherford. That one, that oh one always God. stuck with me, Fridge. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty Machiavellian, I think, whoever, uh, whoever came up with that. <laughs> like, honestly, I, I don't know if that was the intention you know, maybe that's the way it played out, but I don't believe that was the attention. Like, you know, teams were told, you better start diversifying the, your front offices. And I think the Canucks really wanted to be at the forefront of that. Yeah. I don't think that was about creating more power politics in the office. But maybe it happened that way. I don't know. The, the point is, I think, like, like, I don't think it's the wrong thing here for someone to say, you know, like, hey, you know, like, 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 like I, there's no doubt to me part of this is like a corporate PR strategy of, look, we just got to gotta, gotta tone down the news cycle here. And one of the things that Patrick Alvin is good at is toning down the news cycle. So I, I think that's part of it. I think it's too early yeah. to say what this means for the overall. Like the, the thing still is here is that the Canucks still have to make some hard choices. And you better have somebody there who's not afraid to make hard choices. I think the other thing here, and I wish we'd said this on the podcast this morning, and we didn't, so it's good to put some fresh content on your uh, on your show, Jeff. But I think you also have to see how do some of these players re- react to Rick Tockett? You know, like like is there somebody who's having a a bad year who? gets under Tockett and they're rejuvenated for whatever reason. Like, you know, one of the things they did talk about was like guys like Hoaglander who are in the minors. And, and it sure sounded to me like yep. Hoaglander is going to be a Canuck again in the not too distant future. Like that's what you've got. That's one of the things you've got to do is you've got to say, okay, who here is maybe was struggling under Boudreaux who can be rejuvenated under Tockett. And, you know, that happens under every coach. Some coaches are good for players. Uh, some coaches are good for different players. I think that's something that <laughs> we're going to find out. Like, uh, and, and I think that's, that's one of the things they're trying to do here. It was, it was pretty obvious. It sounds like players like JT Miller are going to get a lot of attention. Are getting a lot of attention from this. That, that, that was we'll, one we'll of the things this... that this was all about. No question. That was one of the things this was all about. Okay, um, that part of the Vancouver story is over. The next part starts uh, with the game against the Chicago Blackhawks, um, and we'll we'll see what happens there. Uh, in the meantime, one of the things that I was I had on the list to talk about yesterday on the podcast, and we just didn't get to it, um, is the New York Islanders, and we'll see them in action tonight against the Toronto Maple Leafs, and. You know, it's uh, it's always awkward when you hear, you know, uh, Chance encouraging, you know, the firing of the general manager, but we've heard fire Lou Chance. Um, this is a season where, you know, Ilya Sorokin, who's one of the best netminders in the NHL, 
you know, we think of Jim Rutherford last year saying, yeah, we're not that good. Demko saved all those games for us. Well, Sorokin's kind of that guy this year with the Islanders in some of these games, too. Um, there's a sort of feeling of, you know, this thing has once again gone off the tracks. Um, and we might be looking at yet another year of, of, of non-playoff action for the Islanders. How do you see this team right now? Like, I know injuries have been a factor, and we think of, you know, Paul, like, um, specifically Paul Mary, Wallstrom, et cetera. But how do you see the Islanders right now? Well, first of all, I was, as you mentioned, I was at the skate this morning, and uh, <laughs> Dobson left early, and Paul Mary skated for a while. And, you know, you'll, you'll be shocked to know that uh, – on a team run by Lou Lamorello, they weren't very uh, forthcoming about what this all means. <laughs> and uh, they, and Lane Lambert, uh, Lane Lambert said, uh, you know, we'll see. There's some things we have to see this afternoon, so you'll see tonight. So <clears throat> I'd be curious to see if there's any chance that Paul Mary is going to play. You know, he he was off the ice with the rest of the regular skaters today, so we'll see. Um, you know, you know what the the thing is like. They don't have a ton of natural goal scorers there. Like, Anders sure. Lee, hard worker, hard worker, can get to the front of the net and score. Uh, Paul Mary, Good tips. he's been hurt. Good tips. Yeah. Great tipper. Hard worker. Great tipper. Hard he... worker, yeah. gets to the front of the net and scores. Uh, Brock Nelson, who's an all-star this year, he can score, but it's got to be in a close in area there <laughs> for the most part. I, I, they just lack natural finish. Um, you know, they've been rumored, and God only knows what the truth is because, uh, you know, you never get anything. But, like, like Tarasenko, to me, that's, that's what they need. Like, they need, they need guys who can score. And, you know, I think this, too, like, Dobson, <laughs> obviously they don't know if he's going to play tonight. <laughs> Pellick's been out of the lineup. If you can't yep. get the puck out of your zone, you cannot score in this league. So I think the Islanders have been missing a little bit of that, and they don't have natural goal scorers. They they know who they are. They have to work so hard to score, and I just think it's really tough to win in this league like that. You need natural goal scorers. I think your point about the defenseman is the, is the huge one here. When you're... When you're a forward and you spend the first 30, 35 seconds of your shift in your own zone, by the time you get to the offensive zone, you kind of beat. Like, considering mm-hmm. like, the speed of the game and, and how you have to move your feet now, you spend the first 30 seconds of your shift in your own zone, okay, you get the puck back and you're going through the neutral zone. By the time you get to the offensive zone, you know, you're looking at 40, 45 seconds, and all of a sudden you got there and you're bagged. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's time to change. Like, if, if you yeah. spend that much time, I, I think you're bang on about, about that blue line. Listen, we used to say that about the Oilers kids, right? It was like Taylor Hall and Jordan Eberle and young Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Like, we don't know. We don't know how good those kids really could be because they spend so much time in their own zone. By the time they get to the offensive zone, they're sunk. They're done. They got to go off on a change. Um, you know who I think has so the same problem, Jeff, is uh, is Anaheim. Who's that? Like the more I watch them, the more I think they just have so much trouble getting the puck out of their own zone that it just adds to everything else that they're dealing with. Uh, bad for the goaltender, bad for the forwards, uh, and bad for the coach when there's that much uh, time spent in your own zone. Um, what do you make of the Maple Leafs? 
right now for age and all the the various whispers and rumors around them look i i think they're like i i think they've asked you know we mentioned that like the gabrikov the other night i i think toronto's calling yep. a lot of defensemen i i think they want to know what the market is they want to know what teams are doing um and they they want to they want to know how teams feel about defensemen who might be available i think I think they're looking at a D and a forward, and I, I think the biggest yeah. thing is, A, what it's going to cost, and B, just what teams are thinking. And, like, they still have time. And, you know, I've talked about this with you. You have to beat four teams in the playoffs, but one thing Tampa and Toronto know, they know who that first team is going to be. And I think they're yeah. sizing up each other, and I think they're saying, okay, what do we need? Well, I think the Lightning are saying, what do we need for the Leafs? And I think the Leafs are saying, what do we need for the Lightning? All right. I want to ask you about the San Jose Sharks. I've been kind of putting this one off for, uh, for a couple of days. But, um, listen, you've talked about Timo Meyer and that situation. Um, we've talked about Eric Carlson. That's a name that's been out there for a while. Uh, Ryan Merkley has requested a trade. Um, mm-hmm. I still I wonder about someone like Kevin LeBanc who's been scratched four games in a row now. Yeah. Um, it, it seems as if, and he has one more season of four and a quarter that could complicate things. Uh, it seems as if you know Mike Greer's had enough time to have a look at what he has, uh, what's under the hood of the organization, and now he's ready to to make some moves, to make some big decisions. Is there a chance here when you look at? Not just the volume of players that San Jose has, but the quality of some of these players too. You know, I I wonder if they could. You know, not like Ottawa a few seasons ago, most notably with Mark Stone. I wonder if they could be the team that plays kingmaker at trade deadline. I wonder if that's a team that that everyone ends up watching here. I I I think they could be. I think that's I think that's a very fair comment to make. Um, you know, Meyer. I think there's a lot of interest in Meyer. It's a tricky deal simply because of the contract, but I think that San Jose is being smart by showing flexibility and and saying, you know, if, if, you, if you are willing to do this with us, then uh, we'll let you talk to the agent. Uh, I think that's a smart play. Um, I, I agree with you. Like, I think there's some really interesting teams here. I, I think San Jose is absolutely one. Um, I think that Vancouver could be another, depending on what they want to do and who's available. Um, you know, like, like I, I just think that the sh- like the one thing I think about Greer is he's proactive. He's he's gotten out there and he said, okay, this is what I'm willing to do. This is what it's going to take. This is who's available. This is who you can talk to. Like, I don't think, like, when it comes to the way Greer is doing his business, if you call him with a serious query, he's pretty blunt about, okay, this is what we're willing to do. And so far, I think teams are kind of liking that. Like, they, they, they know where they stand with him. And, you know, so much of, of, of making trades now is, do you think you can honestly make a trade with this team? Like there's some general managers who are famous Jeff for they cha- at the last minute, they ask for something else or you can never really 
pin them down. Like Pat Quinn, I remember once yeah. he went on a rant uh, about some GM. I He's like, I can't bleep and get this guy to tell me what he really wants. Teams hate those guys. So, But I think with San Jose, you have an idea of what they're yeah. like. Like Timo Weyer, he could win a team in the Stanley Cup this year. I completely agree with you. Yeah. He's listen. I you know how I feel about uh, Timo Timo Mai. Now I don't think he's going to end up on a team like the Edmonton Oilers. That is one of the teams I I wonder about. I don't know how they could make that work cap wise. I know him and Kane were were quite tight in in San Jose, I believe. But like, who couldn't use a Timo Meyer in their lineup? Big, strong, could score thirty five goals. Uh, you know, we saw him fight Brandon Carlo last night. Like. Who yeah. doesn't want that guy? Like, find me the team that says, yeah, it's not, Timo Meyer's not a fit with us. Like, what? How's a team like, player like Timo Meyer not a, not a fit for you? Um, Johnny Gaudreau returns to Calgary tonight. I talked to Eric Francis before he came on, and, you know, the, the template of, you know, the standing ovation and then immediately booing the player. You know, the Matthew Kachuk template. We sort of expect that tonight for, for Johnny Gaudreau. When you look at because we've, we've all got, you know, uh, uh, enough, you know uh, enough history now and enough months have gone by that we can think about what just happened. When you look at those yep. final couple of months, the final couple of weeks for Johnny Gaudreau in Calgary, what do you think looking back on it now? Look, I, I think he was legitimately torn. Um, but I, I like, I, like I know this for sure. I've, I've, everybody's confirmed it for me. You know, he said yes, and then he said no, and uh, he changed his mind at the last minute. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, look, like, uh, I, if you go back a year, okay. Johnny Goodrow did what you're supposed to do. Like he's, he's, he did what Bo, Bo, what Bo Horvat is doing this year. He bet on himself. Uh, you know, Bo Horvat felt that the Canucks offer to him was too low, and he said, no, I'm yeah. betting on myself. <laughs> and he's going to score. He could score 50 goals this year. Like, yep. <laughs> that's what you're supposed to do, right? Aaron Judge, mm-hmm. he thought the Yankees didn't come up with the right offer. He went out and he hit 62 home runs, okay? A year ago, the Calgary Flames weren't sure about Goudreau, and they gave him an offer that he didn't think was right. And the one thing everybody has to remember here is that a year ago, people were not talking about Goudreau the same way they were this year. There were a lot of people in, in Calgary, not just players, but I'm sorry, not just the organization, but even the fans were down on him. And then he went out and he had a monster year and the Flames stepped up. They gave him the same offer that they gave Huberto eventually. I just think at the end of the day, he wanted to go back closer to home. And I just think the only thing that the organization kind of wishes is that it didn't come down to that last minute that they knew earlier. And, uh, but, you know, I, I, I think it's like, like I, I think Goudreau's the kind of guy he didn't want to disappoint everybody. He wanted to say yes. He wanted to say yes. He wanted to say yes. And in the end, he couldn't say yes. And the the only critique I I would have is, I, I think I wish he would have done it earlier. But I think at the end of the day, hmm. he ended up where he wanted to end up. 
Panthers, Rangers, Sabres, Stars, uh, the other games on the board later on this evening. Um, do you have a thought on Dallas right now? No, there's a situation with Nels Lundqvist and need him in the lineup, etc. How, how do you see Dallas at this point right now, Fridge? And I think they they're really good. Advance of trade deadline. I, I, I think they're really good, and I think they. Uh, uh, I, I think they're really good, and I think they're going to add not maybe not anything huge, but I think maybe a right mm-hmm. shot D and maybe another forward. You know, Hanley's like, looked really like, good Jeff, back there. They could for, win the uh, cup this year <laughs> for Dallas. They could win the cup. I know. This year. It's so, it's so funny. I was talking to someone um, uh, from another team, and uh, over the weekend, just doing prep for Saturday's show, we're just you know spitballing the Western Conference and jump ball. We'll see what happens with the Colorado Avalanche and their injuries and cap, etc. And ran through all the teams, and it's like uh, I think you've kind of forgotten about the the Dallas Stars here. And he's like, oh yeah, they can win the Stanley Cup. Oh yeah, like that is a that is a legit scary team. Like I I wonder about them. Like every team, always depth defenseman, depth defenseman. You know, one of the names that I wonder about there. Like if if Dallas is gonna do something, I wonder about a player like Radic Faxa. I I really do. Like he's I know teams have called before about Faxa. It sounds like from pretty much day one of the uh, the birth of the Vegas, of the uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, they've tried to bring in. Uh, Radic Faxa. I I wonder if 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 Dallas is going to do a big deal. Just knowing how well thought of and he's healthy now. Faxa is around the NHL. Really good two way player. Uh, when he's healthy, he's a, a stealth, low key, sulky trophy candidate. I wonder if he could. He's one of the, one of the pieces that Dallas uses to get something here. Uh, I think it's. I, I can't believe you didn't bring up Riley Damiani again. You love when I do. He needs a fresh start too. <laughs> Tampa and yes, he does. Detroit were interested once upon a time. Tampa. Uh, I, I love getting the tweets. Like, is, is like Merrick part of the Demiani family here? The way yeah, he I, I, I sent those to you. Riley I Demiani. sent those to you. It was pretty funny. <laughs> oh, those are yours from your, from your burner accounts. Okay, very good. You know what? Like, I think Dallas. Like, I think Dallas could win the cup. I, I think they could. Like, yeah. they're they're going to do something. They're they're going to take a look and say what do we need and we're going to add. I wonder if it's right shot D there. I do. Yeah. What about the Rangers? We'll see them against the Panthers tonight. Um, you know they've been, you know, rumored with players like Timo Meyer. Previously rumored yeah. with players like Patrick Kane. That might just be the obvious Artemi Panarin Chicago Chicago connection. But I have a hard time believing that the Rangers don't don't take a big swing here. I think they will too. I think the owner wants to win. You know what? You know what I think about mostly with the Rangers, though, Jeff. I think they got to figure out what they've got. Like, like there's been a lot of players switching roles, like where they are up and down mm-hmm. the lineup and things like that. Like when you when you have that, like I, I look at some of the contenders. Like you mentioned Dallas, right? I think Dallas knows yep. generally where everybody fits. Like, their key core players, they know where everyone fits. Like, I look at Toronto, they generally know where everyone fits. <laughs> Boston absolutely knows where everyone fits. The Rangers, yep. I don't think they know yet where everyone fits. And, and, and that's the biggest challenge because that means, like, like that means, like, 
if you're Boston, like we talked on the pod, I think Boston's looking for a lefty, right? Like you can say, mm-hmm. okay, this is where this guy's, this guy's, this is what we need. Dallas, Toronto, I think you can look at it and you can say, this is what we need. I think the Rangers, you, you might say, okay, this is a good, like where exactly is our fit? And, and good, you acquire good players and those problems can help solve themselves. But I wonder if they're looking at yeah. their own roster and saying, yeah, I'm not sure where all these guys go here. How much of that conversation revolves around the kids and exhibit A, B, and C, A Lafreniere, Hila, and Kako? Like that, that to me seems like the big one here for, for Gerard Gallant. Like, who is Alexi Lafreniere? Who is Philip Hedl? Who is Capo Kako? At times, and certainly they've looked dynamic together, um, and they've done spot duty on other lines as well. Uh, that to me seems a big question. What do we have here in these three, you know, kids that are all under the uh, at or under the age of twenty-three? Uh, you know, I I agree with you. I like I I think they probably know more about Heedle than the than the other two guys. Um, you know, I, I think the older. toughest thing, like you know, what you, you've actually made a really good point to me before. You know, as a guy, I think a lot about is uh, is Gurionov. And and you've told me before that Dallas yep. is wary about giving up on Gurianov because of Nichushkin. Yes. And I, I watched yes. Nichushkin come back to Colorado, and they're a different team with him in the lineup. Now, Colorado's getting healthy, and and I, I think about that all the time now. Like, Lafreniere, the, the tough thing for him is he's a number one overall pick, so he's expected to have a huge impact immediately. And... and and sometimes we forget that some guys develop longer than others. I understand why the Rangers are worried about this, like dealing with him and, and him blossoming somewhere else. I would be incredibly patient. The, the one thing you have to understand with Galan, and this is like, I always try to understand what, what is a coach thinking? And the one thing I know about Galan, because I've heard it from him a billion times, I don't want to see you get pushed around. I want to see you compete. And whenever someone gets scratched by him, that's the first thing I look at. Does he think the player is not competing hard enough? And I think with him, that's the number. He can put up with mistakes. He can put up with a lot of stuff, but he won't put up with he doesn't think you're competing or he thinks you're getting pushed around too easily. You know, the the thing about Gurianov is, and, and you're right, like they are ooh, so hesitant because I think a lot of fans have looked at Gurianov and said, sure, loaded with skill, and he is, but are we ever going to see it mature? Are we ever going to see it actualize? And the one thing we always don't know is, you know, what's going on behind the scenes with the player, and I'm always sensitive about players um, from overseas that are far away from their family. I think there was a personal uh, matter there with a family member uh, that Gurianov went through, and I, I think that that's affected his attention, affected his game as well. But, Elliot, how many times have you seen Denis Gurianov in a game and you say to yourself, this guy's amazing? Like, he's doing, th- he's got the great feet, he's got the great hands, and you say to yourself, if this guy could put it together, he could be one of the elites in the NHL. And for whatever reason, it hasn't been there. I, I think that they're really scared that if he goes somewhere else and his entire life calms down, they may have traded, you know, another Valeri Nachushkin, albeit with a different skill set. But you know what I'm going after. Like that's I get it. That's a Guriana. The other 34, the other 34 in the league, because um, man, that guy is skilled. 
okay, so we will uh, we'll be watching tonight. Be him, I think you should start calling him the real thirty-four, Jeff. I like that. <laughs> yeah, call call him Austin Matthews' agent, Judd Moldaver, and say, hey, you know what Merrick is saying? You didn't hear it from me, but Merrick's calling Gurian off the real thirty-four. Let's get that. Yeah, I, I would do that. Uh, okay. Yeah, I know you would. Um, you're released. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon, pal. Take care, bud. Speak to you later. There he is, Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada.